Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about herbicide carryover. Now, I realize this isn't a super fun topic. We're going to have a lot of fun discussions coming up here on the show, hopefully, over the next few weeks as we get into harvest. Hopefully, we've got some good harvest out there. Even later this week on our farm, um, our we work with a dairy that's right next door, and they're going to be starting to cut a lot of silage on our acres. So I'm interested to see how some of our tonnage turns out and some of the quality and that kind of thing. All right, well, if you've got any questions for us today, just give us a call here. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So a little later in the show, we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag. We've gotten a number of questions in from our listeners. And again, if you've got a question, you can certainly call us or email us today. But right now, I wanted to talk just a little about this herbicide carryover thing because we are where our farm is located is if you look at on the map where South Dakota, Minnesota, and Iowa all meet, we're real close to that. We're just across the Iowa and Minnesota border uh, borders by maybe 20, 30 miles, something like that. So we're right north of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Anyway, if you look at the drought monitor map, the national drought map. Um, we are, I think, extreme drought. It's either severe drought or extreme drought, whatever it is. They both sound bad to me. And all I know is we have not had a lot of rain in the last year and two months. So we are certainly hoping for some more rain sometime soon. I mean, I'll be honest, though, I'd kind of like to get harvest done and then we could have a bunch of rain, but whatever. We'll take it whenever we can get it at this point. We need some subsoil moisture going into next year. But because of these dry conditions, we're really concerned about the 2022 growing season and herbicide carryover. So I'll just give you a few quick things that you can look at for on your farm and think about for your farm. Let me start with this. Obviously, we know that more water is going to help in terms of the chemical breakdown. But beyond that, I just want you to think about what uses or removes or breaks down the herbicides that you are going to spray. And anyway, this absolutely can be a number of different things. So for example, what we often used to say when we had products that would carry over years ago is we go, well, if you're spraying the weediest field in the county and you're spraying foliar, let's be honest, None of that herbicide's probably even hitting the ground because it's hitting so many weeds and it's hitting the crop. So if that's the case, then yeah, we're going to have a lot less carryover. And along those same lines, I would say if you're spraying pre-emerge in a weedy field, well, guess what? The weeds are going to use that herbicide up and your crop is going to pull it in and then metabolize it. And then it's basically going to neutralize it for the following year. So if you have a lot of crop and or weeds out there, that's a big thing. Well, in a drought year, we have less crop, we have fewer weeds. I mean, I guess for some people, they might look at it as an advantage to have fewer weeds, uh, but I'd much rather have more weeds and more crop to deal with in a better, wetter year. So yeah, water can make a difference. Water can leach some of the herbicides away. Water can get some of these microbes being more active in the soil, but just as importantly as the water is heat. 
So when you're in a cool area of the country, just think about North Dakota versus Texas, for example. Well, North Dakota's way, way, way cooler. And North Dakota has a much short, shorter growing season. So whenever you look on a herbicide label, it's going to tell you how many months until you can rotate to a certain crop. But you always have to take that with a grain of salt because are they really factoring in, well, what if you're in the coldest area of the country or what if you're in the hottest area of the country? Does that make a difference? You bet it does. The more time you have to break that herbicide down and the more heat, the faster it's going to break down. Now, there are some other things, too, that you could always consider, and it's, for example, if you sprayed a herbicide on the soil and sunlight breaks it down, you have photo decomposition. So that could be one of the ways that the herbicide breaks down before it ever even gets into the soil. But I want to talk about a couple of soil factors that are really, really key and something very important for you to think about now going into next year. So, for example, I had a farmer who just asked me on Friday, Brian, do you think the atrazine I used, and he sprayed it uh, right around here in in our area, he said, I used about two-thirds of a pound. Do you think I'm going to be okay rotating back to soybeans next year? And I said, look, most of the time our cutoff is a half a pound in a dry year. So you're real close to that. I'm not super worried about that. But here was my question for him. I said, what is your soil pH? If your soil pH is less than 7, atrazine carries over a lot less. The higher the pH goes, so 7.5 to 8 to 8.5, the higher it goes, the worse your carryover issue is going to be because atrazine is just flat out more active at those high pHs. So take a take a hard look at your soil pH in relation to whatever herbicide you had that has residual. Here's another thing, salt. We saw lots of salt damage this year because we were in a dry year. Anytime you have a dry year, any little bit of salt you have in a field is probably going to look like a lot of salt. It can cause major issues in all crops. It can also cause more carryover problems because Again, think about what breaks down herbicide and what uses it up. Okay, plants, well, you're not going to have as many plants growing if you have salt. And the other side of it is if it's soil microbes that break down the herbicide, well, they don't thrive well when there's lots of salt out there. So if I look at your soil tests and I see your pH is out of whack, I see your salts are high, I'm going to tell you be real careful about which herbicides you use. So let me give you some specifics here. In corn, I'd be real careful with the HPPDs. There are some people who are using some of these pre's that have like a double rate of HPPD, and I'll be honest, I am scared to death in the northern United States of carryover into the soybeans. Now, you can always plant LLGT27 soybeans, and then you'd be fine because they've got tolerance to the HPPD, but I would be worried about it. Other than that, in corn, I'd be worried about atrazine. In soybeans, Pursuit. You might say, well, I'm not using Pursuit anymore. Well, if you're using Zidual Pro, you are. If you're using Optil, you are. So there are some combinations that have very high rates of Pursuit in there. I don't like that in a dry year. Flexstar is another one. Or any Femesophen, be careful with that. In wheat, I'd think about things like Peak, Olympus, Outrider, and more. So we'll continue talking herbicide carryover next. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Phil wants plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. AgPhD has one mission give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're talking a little about herbicide carryover, and we're going to go to the phone lines right now. We got Drake Copeland on with us. He's with FMC out in Ohio. Drake, how are you today? Hey, Brian, doing good. I'm actually in Michigan today. Uh, sugar beets are coming off the field. I'm just getting a last look at some of the trials we had out this summer. Uh, how are the sugar beets doing so far? They say yields are looking good. Um, they didn't have to replant too much, but overall things look to be in good shape. Good, good. All right, so we're talking herbicide carryover today, and when farmers or agronomists bring that up with you, uh, where do you usually take that conversation? I usually take it to, you know, first of all, we, we want to get weed control, you get those under control before the the first week of July or the 4th of July. Um, anything that we do after that, you know, depending on the weather, you look at the Western Corn Belt, as you know, um, we can see some herbicides, depending on the chemistry, show up in next year's crop. Yeah, the flip side of that is weeds are more important to control in dry years like the one we're facing out here. So this is one of the things that our dad always used to talk to us about is like any little problem you have on the farm is now a big problem because of drought. So we got to still have the great weed control, but we don't want to hurt next year's crop. So then what do you suggest? Yeah, and that's that's a good point. And I think yesterday I, I saw a guy spraying some water hemp. Uh, that was well above the canopy, but hey, uh, maybe we had a home run with that application. But typically, if we're out spraying something like a Flex Star or a Classic or something, and you know it's going to carry over, you know it's going to affect your next year's crop. I want them to think about putting that same crop in the same field next year. Now I know that that goes against some other IPM uh, tactics for other pests. But it ultimately avoids that herbicide from injuring that crop if we plant the same one that it was sprayed on. 
Yeah, and it's not only with the herbicide, it's also you can have a lot of carryover fertilizer, and there are other considerations to this too. So I know that has been a strategy out here in the Dakotas when we've had these super dry years, just plant corn on corn, beans on beans, wheat on wheat. Uh, Just the other day I was walking in one of our shelter belts. So this is August, and I was still finding dry fertilizer pellets that the guys had put out in April. To give you an idea uh, how dry it's been here. So, yeah, anyway, not, not the best. <laughs> cannot imagine that. All right. So, I, I guess when you mention Flexstar and Classic, uh, I, I since you are with FMC, I'll bring up these authority products. We've liked using more pre's in years like this because then you get the weed control. You don't have to worry about stuff coming post. And there are a lot of different mixes depending on how long of residual you do indeed want out of your authority product. Exactly. And that's, you'll find that we do have a quite a few, as you know, authority products and there's ratios in there. And basically what you're trying to cover is a soybean acre anywhere in the country, because you get in some parts where there's heavy organic matter soils where they need a lot of authority to even get activity. So you've got to switch to something with a little bit higher load of sulfentrazone and then there's parts of the world where we need to back that down because it's so available and right. we have products that, 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 that fit for that acre too. All right, Drake, any last comments you got for us on drought and uh, herbicide carryover? Well, yeah, I mean, the main thing is just pay attention to what is not only affecting next year's crop, uh, but consider what you sprayed in, in wheat. If you're planting wheat behind soybeans, it's something to be mindful of. And another thing, uh, there's a, a market coming up, uh, fall burn down herbicide applications i think that is some of the best money you can spend on a farm but but don't you know inhibit yourself by spraying something that would in in fact carry over to next year and basically make you plant one crop so spray something if you're going out this fall to do a fall burn down spray something that allows you to be flexible and plant what you want to in 2022 all right good tips again we've been talking to drake copeland with fmc drake thanks for the time today appreciate it yeah, thanks. You bet. All right, let's go next down to the state of Georgia. Got Eric Prosco on with us. He is with University of Georgia. Eric, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. So we're talking a little about herbicide carry over there. And I mentioned earlier in the show, obviously, when you have more time to break the herbicide down, then that's that's an, a big advantage. Well, in Georgia, you have a lot more time than we do and a lot more heat than we do. So are there products still that you are specifically concerned about uh, going into 2022 in terms of carryover? Uh in general, I'd say we are probably our biggest problem that we have or issue is, you know, we grow different crops than y'all in the Midwest. So right. uh, we have issues every year with cotton or potentially with cotton with a product called cadre, which is uh, an Emmy that's we, that we use on peanuts that's closely related to pursued and scepter for the, those yep. of you that might remember those, those oldies. Um, and we also have our, our biggest challenge is we have a diversity of crops here in addition to cotton and peanuts, uh, we could rotate to uh, various vegetable crops, watermelons, cantaloupes, uh, all kind of all kind of produce, um, pecan trees. So uh, we've really got to be conscious of when we're spraying what what we're going to be planting next year to make sure uh, we don't have a problem. And and you know, as a farmer, sometimes you have a good plan, but then prices change and you change your mind, and then you're kind of stuck with making a decision well i used this last year but i really want to plant this this year but it's not a good idea yep 
that's exactly what I was going to bring up, especially mm-hmm. when we're here in the Dakotas. It's very common for people to say, oh, hey, there, there's this market or there's this one. And yeah, I'll try that specialty crop or this other one. I, I can just tell you a quick story about 20 years ago, some real good customers of mine, they were farming so many acres, they owned a whole bunch of ground, they decided to rent some of their ground out. Well, they'd used a double rate of scepter. Think about a double rate of scepter, one of the products you just mentioned. And the, the next, the farmer that rented, uh, he planted sunflowers in there and they all died. And I asked the guys, well, didn't you feel bad about it? And they go, well, he never asked us what we used. <laughs> so especially if you're renting ground, be sure that you ask what the previous farmer used yeah. for a herbicide. That's key. Yeah, that's a big, uh, sometimes when as, as ground swaps between growers and they don't know the history of the land, Yep. Um, then we get, we get into some problems. We see some problems uh, like that in, in peanuts, for example. We, we, if we rotate the pastures that have been treated with uh, picloran, for example, that tends to last for a long time. And somebody didn't know it was an old pasture, and then, then we have problems. But you know, one, on the positive side, one of the things about Georgia or the southeast in general is nice. Our soils are lighter. And we get a lot of rainfall and our soils don't really freeze. So that helps us a lot. We don't see the, the level of carryover that you might in the Midwest where you're from. Here, here's a perfect example for us in, in where I'm at. Atrazine only lasts about eight to ten weeks. And it's very common for uh, growers to double crop soybeans behind corn because we plant so early and we're picking our corn now. And then we can get a, a double crop of corn behind soybeans, which is probably hard for you to imagine that. But that's very <laughs> common here. And, Atrazine just doesn't last long because, you know, because of our weather, and of course we've got enhanced degradation and a few other things going on. But uh, yeah, we're we're in in one re- regards we're we're lucky that we don't have the problems that you do in this in the Midwest because of your you know, clay content and your high organic matter. Of course, we would love more higher higher organic matter. That's great, <laughs> a great thing. But, but as far as herbicide carryover, that's that's always an issue. Yeah, the other thing is soil pH. So Drake Copeland had mentioned classic. Well, we don't use much classic in the northern United States because of the high high pH. Well, then you have a lot more carryover with classic. In your area, you have a lot lower pH, plus all the other factors you mentioned. So, I mean, a farmer can certainly use classic in his soybeans if he wants to. Oh, he can. He can. We do have to watch with some produce, though. We have some issues Again, probably the, if you're a farmer right. calling me and you're asking me for a recommendation, the first thing I ask you is, well, what are you planting? Because in Georgia, like I mentioned, it could be anything from peanuts to cotton to onions to watermelons to cantaloupes, and I've got to know that before I, I make a recommendation because some of those uh, soybean herbicides, for example, like Classic, have a potential to carry over on some of our high-value specialty crops. Well, Eric, if nothing else, your state sounds like a fun state having all these great crops you can raise uh, and tasty crops. So anyway, uh, again, we've been talking to Eric Prosco just a little about herbicide carryover. He's with University of Georgia. Hey, Eric, thanks a lot for the time. We always appreciate having you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and have a great day. Yep, thanks. You too. All right, so right after this, we'll talk just a little bit more about herbicide carryover and kind of wrap up that discussion and then get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Got some good ones today, so we'll hit those in just a little bit. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. 
Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio, just talking a little about herbicide carryover. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening in your farm right now, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. So just to kind of wrap things up on our herbicide carryover discussion, I will just say make sure that you know what you are applying to your ground and how long it lasts. And if there's any question at all where you look on the label and it says, uh, 10 months to rotate to a certain crop and you go, hmm, I'm right at 10 months. Okay, well, that's probably going to be okay in a lot of years. But if you have extreme situations, like for us right now, we're in drought. If let's say for whatever reason, it turns super cold on you really early, or let's say your soil has extremes for pH or salt or some, some other issue, you might just want to play that safe and stretch things out another year. Just go back to a different crop that actually will tolerate 
the carryover of that particular herbicide. Because the last thing we want to see happen to you is you have issues on your farm that were within your control if you just would have planted another crop. And sometimes you might be able to get some help from some company if, oh, their product was mislabeled or whatever. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, those things really stink. They get drug out and and everything else. So just be really careful. And I know we had a lot more issues in our region of the country than we normally do this year. Well, I'm even more concerned about it going into next year because for us, once we got to like July 5th last year, that was basically our last rain, last good rain for almost a year. So it, it, it was terrible. We had less rainfall in a 12-month time period than almost any other 12-month time period in history, including the 1930s. So when you stop and think about that, okay, if it's like the worst in 100 years, or even the worst in 50, or even the worst in 20, you know, probably better just play it a little bit safer than normal. So make sure you're asking questions of your agronomist. Look on the labels, uh, but play it even safer than that. And if you have any questions, you can certainly just email those to us or just give us a call here again. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, we're going to jump back to the phone lines. Got Troy calling in from Wisconsin. Hey, Troy, how's it going today? Good. How are you, Brian? Excellent. I hear you got a question on nitrogen stabilizers. Yeah, so looking forward to next year, uh, just kind of doing some preliminary research, if I can put it that way. Yep. Um, the ground I run is roughly, I'm going to say, between a 10 and a 15 CEC, and it's a lot of contours and hills. So yep. the two-pass nitrogen is kind of a run over a lot of corn deal. So gotcha. I'm looking at putting more on with the planter. Okay. And... I guess DCD has my attention, but I don't know if that's one that I need to be focusing more on or if there's better ones out there. Oh, yeah, a specific, you're saying a specific uh, nitrogen stabilizer. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, The nitrogen you're going to put on, are you going to lay it on the soil surface or are you injecting it? Uh, Be surface banded behind the planter. Okay. So the reason why I ask that is there are different nitrogen stabilizers. You've got uh, some that will just protect against volatilization. Then you have others that will protect against leaching and denitrification, and some will do all three. So what's your main concern there? I assume you're you're primarily worried about leaching or what? Well, that, yes. Um, volatilization is going to be one of the bigger ones. It's, it's going to be liquid, of course, going on with the planter. Yep. So, I mean, it could be five, six, eight, ten days potentially before we get a rain under the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the next thing is, too, is it's going to be a no-till ground, so there is going to be some residue on the surface, uh, but it's going to be right basically behind the planter. It's not going to be in between the rows, so there's the the route to the soil is going to be better than it would be just banded on surface okay and how about crop rotation what will Uh, these fields go ahead they were soybeans last year uh well it's this year actually one field is is uh was wheat this year and i've got a diversified cover crop in there so okay that's going to be majority of it's going to winter kill on them and i have some rye that comes through in the spring but just not let it get very big and then the rest is all other rotated ground soybean stubble and whatnot 
Yeah. So. Yeah. And the reason why I asked that, of course, is if let's say it was continuous corn and you had a whole bunch of corn residue out there, especially in a no-till environment, there's going to be a lot of your nitrogen that's going to get tied up right away by that, that residue, 50 pounds probably for sure, maybe even 100. So anytime we have lots of residue, then whatever I'm going to say here, we would probably bump it beyond that. Okay. And then my other question is, what's your yield goal? Roughly? Um, probably 175. Okay. All right. So you're, you're not going to be exceeding your cation exchange capacity by leaps and bounds or anything. But I'm assuming here your question is basically, can you put everything on with the planter, uh, especially when you're putting a nitrogen stabilizer on with it, correct? Basically, yes. Yeah. Okay. So when you start getting down to 10 CEC, that's starting to get pretty light. And I'm going to guess there's yield variance on your farm and at least in the dry years, the lower yields are coming from that area. So, you know, you certainly could vary your rate of nitrogen a little bit, can even be done with the planter if you wanted to. The other thing you certainly could do is put someone with the planter at a consistent rate, and you could vary a nitrogen rate with, um, let's say, another another application. Another thing we commonly do on our farm is, so we don't have to put much nitrogen on with the planter, we'll put nitrogen on with the pre-emerge herbicide. So, I mean, you got lots of ways to get it out there, but yes, if you're going to lay it on the soil surface, then yeah, I, I, I mean, I would be worried about volatility. Now, certainly early in the spring, you don't have as much risk when uh, the sun isn't quite as powerful then, you don't have as much heat, you got more chance for rain then. So, you know, it's not super bad. I mean, I worry more about volatilization in the middle of the growing season as opposed to right then at planting time. But even so, yeah, you're probably ahead if you used a nitrogen stabilizer for all three, volatilization, leaching, and denitrification. And would I feel comfortable pushing it? So I got up to 175 as opposed to 150 that your 15 CEC could hold. You know, I'd probably be willing to chance it. We farm some ground just like you do. It's on the contour and it it is hard because nobody can drive perfectly straight. We always run a little bit of stuff down. We do still quite commonly go out there and side dress because we are going for um, you know, fairly, well, a lot more yield than what our soil will hold. But in your case, yeah, I might be willing to try that. And okay, here's the worst case scenario. You put a fair amount on with the planter and for whatever reason you think, oh my goodness, this is going to be like a record year. I want to get some more out there. You could always go out to some spots or whatever and add a little more nitrogen later if you had to. But before you do that, I'd definitely be doing pre-side dress nitrate tests. Hopefully you got enough in that soil and you don't have to do it, but you certainly could. Oh, one other option. You could always have some foliar nitrogen flown on with a plane too. So we've done a little bit of that in the past. Uh, you know, even if it's 30 pounds or something like that, you, you, I'm, we're not talking about lot, lots or the equivalent mm-hmm. to get you to 30 pounds. So, I mean, there are certainly some other options for you out there. But, yes, what you're planning, I would say, probably is not a bad idea. Okay. All right. All righty. Sounds good. Okay. Well, hey, uh, thanks for the call, Troy, and good luck out there. All right. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Yeah, that nitrogen question is really a tough one. And and let me throw one other thing out that I didn't talk to Troy about, and that's this. In a dry year, early nitrogen really can help you compared to late nitrogen. Let me give you an example on our own farm. 
So we've had some years where we thought, oh, you know what? Let's uh, split apply our nitrogen. We'll put some out later. Well, we put some out later, didn't get rain for a month, a month after we put the, the citrus nitrate out. I don't care what you do. Um, if you're laying it on the soil surface, it's flat out not getting into the ground if you don't get rain for a month. And then we lost the potential yield gain we thought we were going to have. So I'm not saying, oh, we want to go way overboard on putting nitrogen out early. But I am saying, would I feel comfortable pushing it a little bit if I used a nitrogen stabilizer and in a dry year? Yeah, I probably would. So don't get me wrong, though. I'm not saying put 400 pounds of nitrogen out in a 10 CEC soil with a stabilizer or anything like that. You can push it a little bit. Just don't push it a lot. All right, we'll get to your calls and questions coming up next. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Hey. 
come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first comment here. Uh, I don't know if we've got a question exactly with this, but comment, definitely. This is Larry from Iowa. Uh, he just said he sent his tissue samples in, and they came back showing a little bit of dicamba. He called the state of Iowa to report the dicamba damage. They wanted to do a full-blown investigation, so I just said no, because where are you going to start with like a four-mile spread? All I would do is uh, get the neighbors mad or get mad at them. Uh, So anyway, Larry, I certainly understand what you're talking about, that, uh, well, we're in kind of a similar situation. I'll, I'll share more of that with you in a second. Anyway, to wrap things up with Larry here, uh, he sent us an article. He sent this in the mail. Uh, going old school here, Larry. Anyway, uh, thanks for the, the little article. He just said, I I thought you might like to see what Harry Stein had to say about the dicamba deal. Yes, I've read Harry's comments and many, many others' comments on this. So first of all, let me just say uh, we have about 1,100 acres of soybeans, I think, this year on our farm. Uh, every single one of them got cup. They're all enlist beans. They're spread over a radius of about 10 miles from our home farm. So, yeah, the dicamba came from somewhere. Now, the question is, did it come from somebody's soybeans, from somebody's corn, from pasture spraying, from ditch spraying? I don't know. I don't know where it came from. I just know that the amount of cupping was, I thought, relatively light. Plants weren't severely damaged or anything like that. And most of the time, we see that the yield turns out just fine. So I'm not here to justify what's happened or defend what's happening with anyone spraying dicamba, labeling dicamba, anything else. Look, we're just having a real problem in agriculture right now getting the dicamba movement to stop. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last four years that all these problems have been going on. And it just takes me back to when I was a young agronomist and literally like Everybody in our state sprayed dicamba on their corn. I mean, it was 2,4-D and dicamba. So the two products that that volatilize the most in the history of agriculture, at least in our region of the United States. So I was thinking back with this dicamba deal, and you know, we were we had a lot of beans back, soybeans back then, and right next to the cornfields. Well, why didn't we have an issue? I'll tell you why. Because we told people spray it spike or up to V2 at the very latest V5. So if you're spraying at spike in our area, that means mid-May. If you're spraying at V2, that means late May. And if you're spraying at V5, that probably means very early June. Okay, well, think about when a lot of dicamba is sprayed now. And yes, the soybeans can get sprayed all the way till June 30th. That's way later than we used to spray it. But also, think about all these safeners they have now for corn. So, for example, Diflex, all that is is old clarity plus a safener. Or Status, that's got dicamba in there, granted at a real low rate, but still, it's got dicamba in there and a safener. So when people hear, oh, safener, and oh, it's labeled up to, whatever, 20-inch tall corn, I can spray it late. And I'm going, no, please don't spray your dicamba late in your corn. Don't do that, because then it moves all over the country. And we saw pastures getting sprayed late. We saw ditches getting sprayed late. And, you know, you can tell me, well, that, those were sprayed with generic or whatever. Well, look, the generic volatilizes about the same as the new stuff. I don't care if it's Extendamax or Ingenia, and it's got a volatility reduction agent. Does that help? Sure. But does it solve the problem? No. So I'm just trying to say any dicamba that gets used, it can move. 
And the earlier you get your dicamba spraying done, the better off we all are. So there are a lot of states that are looking at further restricting dicamba. If the date just gets moved up, then that's probably what it's going to take. But yeah, I really wish somebody could find a formulation that eliminated the volatility risk. That's basically what's happened with the new 2,4-D Enlist or Freelex. All right, got a bunch of comments here. We talked recently on our television show about the green bridge. And so basically what that is, is if you are planting one crop, let's say it's it's two summer crops or a fall crop, whatever. So after you harvest the one crop, we talk often about how you want to eliminate the green bridge by basically having nothing growing out there, having your field relatively black for two weeks or at least a week. So you can kill off diseases and insects and mites so they can't be so they hopefully will not be a problem in your next crop but anyway so here are some of the comments that came in uh first one says and i don't have a name on this one the first one says thanks for the video uh from the explanation it seems to me green bridge is similar or the same as a fallow period just that for green bridge the stress or the motive uh, is more on doing away with pests and diseases instead of just allowing the land to regain its fertility correct Yes, uh, that that's exactly what we're talking about. And the fallow period is very small, like one to two weeks. Uh, Marcelo says here in Brazil, we use the same term for what you're talking about, green bridge. Just thought you find that interesting. Thanks, Marcelo. Appreciate that. Our next one comes from Tom, who says, I haven't had a huge problem with this green bridge thing, although I can definitely see it being a potential problem if you're in a crunch and can't give nature time to work it out. I'm organic and no-till, so I can't chemically terminate, and mechanical termination requires anthesis of the cover crop, so I'd be planting in July if I waited, and I'm keeping something growing all the time, whether that be double cropping, intercropping, or cover cropping. The old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, holds true for everything that will destroy my crops. Uh, there is something that will destroy my enemy, and the beneficials will come. But by going in with chemicals, I'd be preventing that balance from ever happening. I'm killing the good guys and the bad guys. Uh, okay, so yes, Tom, um, it's certainly possible that you know you can you you don't have to worry about this green bridge thing. It's just that this is something that's been out there, established for a long time. Uh, it does seem to help, but yeah, if you're able to find some other way and things just work themselves out, well, obviously that's fantastic. So hopefully that will continue for you. All right, and then finally, uh, one from Brian here. He says, so do you not think cover crops are important? Uh, this really has nothing to do with cover crops or or not. What we're talking about with this green bridge deal is simply, and, and the reason why they call it bridge, it's a bridge from one crop to the next to carry into it diseases and insects and mites. And so we're trying to do the best we can to eliminate these things without having to go spray a lot of pesticides out there to kill the diseases, the insects, and the mites. So the solution that a lot of people have come up with is either just till it or kill all the living material out there, uh, the weeds and crop basically, for a couple of weeks. And then hopefully they can't go through that bridge or across that bridge and get to the other side and cause damage to the next crop. But yes, it is kind of an interesting topic. Now, for some of us, uh, we have what's called frost in the wintertime. And if we raise crops that are only summer crops and we just plant one per year, 
Well, <laughs> that eliminates our green bridge by a long ways. Uh, you know, as a human being, it's not a lot of fun living in South Dakota for about three months out of the year. Some years it's like five. But anyway, three months really are pretty terrible. But the one saving grace for me all the time, I just think about every day when it's like 20 below zero and I'm going, oh, this is brutal. I just think, well, I guess the only good thing is it's probably helping my crops. That frost is going deep in the ground, killing weeds, insects, diseases, hopefully helping me a little bit on the compaction. So there can be a lot of good things too. All right, next one uh, comes from Austin who says, uh, and he was commenting on a video we'd put out about what is a fallow year and just talking about that as one of our farm basics on a recent Ag PhD show. And he said moisture isn't really conserved in fallow fields because evaporation increases dramatically. You'd be better off with cover crops. Well, look, Austin, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not a huge believer in our region of having fallow anyway. Uh, is the cover crop thing possible? Well, it's certainly possible that that could help, but if you're going to raise a cover crop, then why not just make it a cash crop? So that's kind of been my contention a lot of times, and it just comes back to the whole trial and error thing. So if for any of our listeners, they happen to be in an area where they've tried this, they've tried the cover crop thing versus the fallow thing, and they've had better success following fallow, you know, great. I mean, there's certainly a lot of risk with fallow. Everything from having uh, like mycorrhiza fungi and other beneficial microbes die off to erosion and everything. So you got to be a little bit careful with that side. But then the flip side on this cover crop thing, yep, there's a little bit of risk there too. You got a little bit of expense and what if it doesn't work? So we always tell people just experiment on a small basis, see if it works and go from there. Thanks for the uh, comment though. Appreciate that. Stay tuned to be right back. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPhD TV or radio, you can catch up at AgPhD.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at AgPhD.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near-zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Just taking your questions here at the end of the show during our Ag PhD mailbag time. Next one comes in from Andy. He says, hi, guys. Will you be having another Neil Kinsey workshop this coming winter? Um, I am keen to take it a third time. (laughs) Hey, Andy. uh, Yes, we are going to have Neil Kinsey back again. Uh, It is going to be February 22nd through the 24th. This would be another paid event. Uh, Neil is fantastic. He's one of the top soil agronomists and uh, soil fertility experts in the world. Uh, We'll also be doing that online, so there will be an option, a virtual option as well, if you would like to do that. So we'll have more details out on that soon, but it's February 22nd through the 24th. I believe that's a Tuesday through a Thursday, February 22nd through the 24th in 2022. Uh, And on our website, we also will have our Ag PhD workshop dates getting posted real soon. Uh, We have several that, uh, that we'll be doing this coming winter as well. All right, next one is from Timmy. Now, uh, before I read Timmy's uh, comment here, I just have to tell you, one of the things that we that I usually am is very blunt, and I'll just, I'll just tell it like it is. So we're not going to sugarcoat stuff. We're just going to say it, and I'm just going to say what I think. And so sometimes that gets me into a little bit of trouble. But anyway, I appreciate Tommy's uh, very direct comment here. <laughs> so here it is. So Timmy says, as a chemist, I can tell you that your analogy to caffeine is terrible uh, between atrazine and caffeine. So much more going on with herbicides than LD50 when discussing the safe use of chemicals. Love your videos in general, as they have been a great help with smaller parts of my property that are managed for wildlife plantings. All right, Timmy. So uh, appreciate your feedback. I, I will just say this. We commonly do compare the LD50 to uh, of atrazine which is 3,000 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, the same as table salt, by the way, to caffeine that's only 200 milligrams per kilogram. And yes, there are many other factors that we can talk about with atrazine, but there also are with caffeine. Caffeine isn't the safest thing that a person can put in, your, in, in their body, uh, but the, the whole point was just simply this, to say, you know, the dose that will actually kill you with atrazine is actually 15 times higher, and that's a proven scientific fact, compared to the dose that will kill you with caffeine. But if 
two people saw caffeine and atrazine, they'd absolutely lose their minds about the atrazine thing. And when they have a thing to say about caffeine, even though the caffeine technically could potentially be more dangerous. But yes, you are absolutely right. Many other factors to look at. And so we're not saying atrazine needs to be consumed, should be consumed, or we would hope anyone would ever consume any of it. We don't. We don't want that. Uh, and and we're trying all the time to talk about the safe use of pesticides, keeping them out of groundwater. So we don't have these kind of issues coming up. But every once in a while, it is nice to just kind of look at a complete contrarian view to say, you know, <laughs> some of these things that everybody is losing their minds about, you know, let, let, let's also put it into perspective a little bit. The one that I commonly bring up is gasoline. And I was just telling some farmers this the other day or joking with some farmers. And I said, you know, I had to fill up my pickup with fuel and today. And when I pulled up to the gas pump, there was this, this huge gas station. I didn't see anybody else wearing personal protective equipment. And the farmers all laugh. And I go, this isn't a joke. That gasoline that you're pumping every day contains benzene. That's a proven cancer causer. People are standing there holding the nozzle with their hand, bare hand, no personal protective equipment, no mask, nothing. You know, we got to wear masks for COVID, but they don't require that when you pump your own gas. Uh, you're, if you're breathing in benzene, well, guess what? That's a proven cancer causer. It's proven. So we got to be more careful with some of the other things that we have out in our society besides just pesticides. And that was kind of the point. All right, next one here is from Robert. We were talking about side dressing corn on a recent Ag PhD show, and we were just talking about nitrogen use a little bit earlier today as well. And Robert's uh, Robert's story here is just real quick. Uh, 1967, he says, my dad put down all his nitrogen as anhydrous in bed on his cotton ground. It was a cool, damp year, not very conducive for raising cotton. Well, one farm grew cotton to a height of seven or eight feet tall. It stayed in that growth or vegetative stage so long, and it shedded most of the blooms. Well, those stocks only had two or three bowls per plant. Normally, a good healthy stock was about three and a half to four feet tall and had 20 to 25 bowls per plant. We planted on beds using hippers and uh, applied anhydrous in row, harrowed the beds down and planted all uh, and planted all P and K were mixed or were dry mixed, uh, applied early spring with spreader buggies. Anyway, I think where he was going with this whole thing is, yeah, sometimes split applying nitrogen can be really good. And just because you have a whole bunch of nitrogen out there doesn't mean you're going to have top yields. You got to look at everything else, too. All right, uh, next one comes all the way from India, from Parag, who says, can you please tell me what's the distance between two rows of crop in your area in the world? Uh, and we were talking about soybeans on a recent video, so I assume this has has to do with soybeans. Well, I'll just say, Parag, that uh, a lot of soybeans in my area are raised in 30-inch rows, so 30, inch, 30 inches apart. And no, we're not on the metric system here. <laughs> we're around the old uh, uh, inches scale uh, with this. And I will just say we've raised soybeans in 7-inch rows, 10-inch rows, 15-inch rows, haven't really done much with 20 intros, but we got some people who raise them in 20s and 22s. We used to raise a few beans in 38 intros, and a few of our neighbors raised them in 36 intros. So that road distance can really vary, but again, the average around here is 30 intros right now. I would say that the narrower the row, 
the better crop canopy you have and the better natural weed control you can get. So if weeds are a big issue for you, that would be something to look at. Now, I've been to India before. It's hot and humid. And so that makes me think of disease issues, which we commonly get here. And that's one of the reasons we've widened our rows out from 10 inches all the way to 30 now uh, because of fewer disease problems, letting more air down through that row. But again, weeds could be a little worse if you do that. All right, next one is from Tom. He says, uh, I sometimes notice a worm-like insect burrowing into the ears of my corn. They leave behind a brown, mushy hole. Is this corn rootworm larvae? No, Tom, that would probably be corn earworm. Corn rootworm larvae is going to feed on the roots of corn, and that's going to be early in the season, like in May through much of the United States, or at least the northern United States. All right, uh, next one here is from Forrester, who says, uh, talking about fungicides in soybeans, and we had we had uh, talked about this on our television show recently, and he said, in a cubic meter of healthy soil, there are around 250,000 meters of fungal hyphae, which form complex beneficial relationships with plants, supplying them with nutrients, and providing a range of benefits that make plants healthy and resistant to pathogens. Spraying a fungicide is never the answer, especially as a preventative, as fungicides always cause a decline in yield, and the havoc they cause to soil health is extremely detrimental long-term. He says, I find a recommendation to just spray a fungicide in case you need it really irresponsible and completely unnecessary, especially given all the recent research into the complexity of soil biology and massive importance of beneficial fungi to soil and plant health. So, uh, look, Forrester, um, I, I'm going to disagree with you respectfully about fungicides always cl- cause a decline in yield. We have absolutely not found that. In fact, we usually find that fungicides cause an increase in yield. And here's the other thing. We do a tremendous amount of work, probably more work than almost any other company in the United States when it comes to naturals, or a lot of people call them biological products. We are doing Uh, just a crazy amount with a lot of different products. And we are testing a lot of things with fungicides to find out, okay, will these survive? Will these live? Will these die? Uh, So what we're finding is there are a lot of fungicides that don't kill many of the fungal species that are beneficial that we are using. So I'm not saying that a fungicide isn't going to kill any fungus, of course. I'm just saying Look, if I can gain yield by using something on my farm, um, we're in a capitalist society and I have to look at, all right, number one, I got more income. The second thing I have to look at is, again, in a capitalist society, I have to look at the long-term benefits to my soil. Okay, So exactly what you're talking about, I'm looking at that too. I'm trying to figure out how do I have a more productive soil long-term. And I I would agree with you 100%. If we were doing detriment to the soil in the long term, that'd be a major, major problem. We aren't finding that right now. I could be wrong. Uh, We'll see what happens in the future. But all I know, fungicide has been paying. And so that's the reason why we have continued to do it. Last one real quick. Rob asks about a pre-emerge that can hold down pigweed in clearfield sunflowers. Look, I don't care what kind of sunflower you have, Rob. Use a yellow. That'd be either prowl or trifluralin or maybe sonalan plus spartan. That'd be like authority in soybeans. But you've got to put down a full rate of Spartan and a full rate of a yellow if you want great pigweed control because, boy, that is a tough one. You're not. There's nothing post we can use in sunflowers that's great on resistant pigweeds. All right. Well, uh, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. I know I have had a lot of fun. Just want to th- say thanks to my sister, Janelle. She was running the controls today. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.